0: All right, all right, all right. Got some gigs coming up. Firstly, I'm going to be playing at the Cobra, a.k.a. Cobra Cabana, on the 19th with Emma Holden Trio, slapping a bass, and again on the 24th with Emma Holden Trio at the Cobra, slapping a bass. Come out, say hello. We'd love to see you. The Sweet Release Party is happening March 16th at 8.30 At the Analog at Hutton Hotel over on West End. Sweet Fever, Daylight Centers, and True Villains will all be playing that night. I believe Sweet Fever is going to be releasing a new single that night as well. Uh, I think I'm going to be getting those guys to come in here pretty soon. We're going to have a little chat. Hopefully they're all doing good. Very excited for the show. It should be a good one. Go check it out. Practice is crucial, of course. But how you approach what you do is just as important. Talent is a great advantage, but it's not the deciding factor. Above all, it's the love. Understanding what you love about playing music and what it feeds in you and what touches you most. That's from Dave Isaacs from his GoFundMe campaign. He is going to be working on this book, releasing this book called The Perpetual Beginner. Dave, of course, was a guest on episode 48, and uh, I think he has just a lot of great ideas surrounding music. He's a real interesting guy. So if you want to help donate to his book, I will be sharing the link. Please look out for it. Or you can just uh, go on GoFundMe and look for The Perpetual Beginner by Dave Isaacs. And at the beginning of this podcast, you heard Go by Alana Royale. They will be releasing that song on a 45 for Record Store Day, which this year it's on Saturday, April 13th. They will also be playing at Grimey's that day. So go check out Alana Royale. Go buy the 45. Support this band. They're amazing. Incredible. I absolutely love them. And of course today we add on Jared Colby of Alana Royale in Mount Worcester. It was great to talk to Jared. It was interesting to learn uh, some things about him musically that I wouldn't have guessed. I don't want to spoil it. But he's into a very form of specific rock music that's played in the Northeast. That was big in the Northeast. That's all I'll say for that one. Here is the song Three Streets by his band, Mount Worcester. Welcome to the Poptimist Here we have Jared Colby Jared, what bands are you part of? So,
1: I am, uh So, I play bass in Mount Worcester And I'm also the main, main writer and arranger for that project I play guitar in Alana Royale And I am also in a hardcore band called Bloodsport I didn't know you were in a hardcore band Yes, yeah, that's a That's, that's also a very new thing But, uh made out of a lot of songs that are really old
0: (laughs) so are those uh massachusetts era songs
1: yeah i wrote and recorded the entire record uh which isn't out yet um like eight to ten years ago and i worked on it all myself played played all the instruments on it whatever um and then when i moved down here to nashville i sort of just like left it on a hard drive and just like let, Set it it, let it let it let it collect dust, mm-hmm. um, and then you know, but a couple of months ago, um, I started kind of like getting the itch again, and I was like, uh, eh, maybe I'll go back and like revisit some of that stuff, and uh i ended up I ended up liking it, you know, like it, they like the songs aged well with me and and so I was like, oh well, this is you know this is worth actually giving a proper mix and like you know eventually putting it out, so uh so we played a show a couple of months ago because our friends came down from Boston. Oh, yeah. And so we were like, oh, let's, you know, let's open for Scott and Alex Band and whatever. And, uh, so, yeah, I just threw a band together and, um, you know, the the the, the, the person that played guitar, mm-hmm. whose name is also Jared, um, he moved here, he moved to Nashville from Boston with me, so he was the only other person that heard those songs besides my wife, so it was uh-huh. like, you know, he was way into it whatever so it was it was a fairly easy thing to get together it was a lot of fun
0: when did you move to nashville
1: uh january 2012
0: okay and you grew up in massachusetts had you Mm -hmm. spent your whole life in massachusetts up until that point
1: yeah yeah so i grew up in worcester and then when i was 20 i moved to boston but i had started going to boston uh you know quite frequently
0: what a great town
1: yeah oh it's amazing um but yeah i started going to like basement shows like you know just like you know, punk and hardcore like house shows and, you know, shit was like crazy like the hot Al- topic Alson, era Cambridge, you know, whatever, like that kind of thing. Um and just seeing these like incredible shows in these incredible spaces that were just like, you know, put on by other kids that just wanted to wanted to see good bands and, you know, offer a, a cool place to play for, you know, other bands from other cities and it was it was just it was a really cool time to be there. You know, it was a lot of like you know um, you know, I, to me, <clears throat> to me, Boston has always been like the the home to hardcore. I know that like people from New York and DC like think their own way on that or whatever. But like I always just thought like some of the best bands came from Boston. So I grew up in a time where I just saw a lot of special shows that I know that a lot of other people didn't get to see. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know bands like bands like American Nightmare that people people fly around the world to see now because they do like reunion shows like i saw that band like every weekend you know mm-hmm. and like bane and you know there's a band called have heart that's about to do some reunion shows and i i can't tell you how many times i saw that band yeah i like even even without trying you know like i ended up i ended up playing in a band uh in like a throw together band with members of have heart for like a halloween show we covered uh we covered an 80s hardcore band called Project X, which was, like, a joke band. Um, and they only ever put out, like, five songs. So we played we played their, like, hit song, uh, which was called Straight Edge Revenge. We played it five times in a row because we, we needed to, like, fill up some time. Mm-hmm. But really all their songs were, like, you know, about a minute long. Anyway. Oh, yeah, totally. So we played, we played for about ten minutes. But it was, like, stuff like that where it was just, like, everybody was around all the time. And it was just a really cool era, to be to be a part of, you know. And I feel like, I feel lucky to be catching that in Nashville now too, you know. There's
0: something cool happening
1: here. It, it really is, and 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 that's what drew me to this place, in the first place. Is I came here and there was such a sense of community and such a sense of everybody wanting to work together, and you know, being like, oh, what are what are you on, and what project are you on, and oh, come play in my band if I think you're like you know, tearing it up on stage or whatever, and it was just a really cool, it was a really cool thing, there was a lot of parallels for me, um, without a lot of the, like, tough guy nonsense that comes with, that comes with hardcore, so it was, it was cool to be, you know, getting, getting into my 30s and moving to a place that was a lot calmer and a lot less violent, but in the, but in the same time, had that nice community of people working together to have cool shows and put out cool music and stuff that's on the fringe you know stuff that's you know not not necessarily only country music and only cover bands that like you know a lot of the rest of America sees the outside of and they're like oh yeah go to Nashville and go to Roberts and whatever it's like well I have to go out of my way to hear country music during the day to be honest
2: Mm -hmm. because
1: I fuck around with the soul bands here and you know uh, and hip hop you know hip hop's got a growing community here and you know like garage rock like punk music it's it's all got a home here so it just really reminded me of that DIY scene that I was a part of in Boston from you know 99 to like till I moved here in, in 2012
0: yeah yeah so there's a huge difference between hardcore and soul music of they're course. almost at opposite ends of the spectrum mm-hmm so, how did you first start getting into into soul music and that genre of, of stuff that's like has a groove to it?
1: Yeah. Well, so I only really figured this out pretty recently actually and and the parallel between soul music and hardcore. So, bear with me here. Sure. <laughs> um, so I started getting into soul music because growing up I was really into hip hop and you know, really really into rap like the I I watched MTV all the time growing up. I watched BET, um, you know, in even to a lesser extent VH1, you know, when they when they were doing music videos as well. And I was just always drawn to those old soul samples that were in that like 90s boom bap hip hop, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like Wu-Tang and Tribe Called Quest, all the stuff that, you know, Dr. Dre was doing. He wasn't necessarily doing sampling, but it was like original takes on like the funkadelic sound, yeah, for which, sure, which was like kind of mind blowing, yeah, of course. Um, and so I was really into that, and then I also got into like, like sound, not soundtracks, I guess, but but the way soul music was placed in a lot of movies. So like from from like my hip hop, um, you know, from like my hip hop mindset, I got really into the. You know the movies from the from the '90s, like Menace of Society, Dead Presidents. Uh, you know, do the right thing. All this sort of stuff that featured not only hip hop music but soul music, and particularly
2: mm-hmm.
1: soul music from Memphis and from Muscle Shoals. You really heard a lot of that in those movies, and so I started doing my research on who those artists were. You know, who my favorite rap producers were sampling what songs were in what movies and whatever and that really started to grow my knowledge of what soul music was and i i mean i remember the first soul 45 that i bought was tired of being alone by al green because i was listening to dead president uh sorry not listening to dead presidents i was watching dead presidents and there's i don't know if you've seen the movie or not no i haven't um well you you really should it's yeah it's amazing it's it's about um it's about you know some uh people that go to vietnam and they come back and didn't get any of the things that they were promised by the american government yes and it was right around the time of the black panther movement and getting involved with that and whatever does it take place
0: in the 70s yes it does okay nice okay yeah like
1: very post vietnam and trying to figure out
0: what the fuck how is to, going on? How to, yeah,
1: and how to navigate life as a black man when you come back and you didn't get anything from the government. And also, like, now, you know, your neighborhoods aren't the same as they used to be, mm-hmm. whatever, and just navigating all What's that. What's going on? So, Marvin yeah, Gaye. Exactly. Exactly that. So, I won't go into detail about about parts of the movie because i because i don't want to spoil it for you because it's 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 one of my like top five favorite movies okay i have to check it out there's a scene there's a pivotal scene in that movie where tired of being alone by al green is being played and i was like man it is so powerful to hear this song coupled with what's going in um what's going on in this part of this movie so i had to go out and find it and i and I remember i i bought the I bought the forty five at a place called Looney Tunes in Boston, which is on Boylston street in back bay and um and they had a really great soul selection and from there i I was in there like every day because I went to college around the corner, so I just like went and just picked through records for like forever and this was at a time when you know records weren't as popular as they are now, so I just had the pick of like. The best shit. And it was really inexpensive to buy records. Because so, nobody
0: wanted them then. Yeah, exactly. Is so, that place in, in a basement? hmm Is that place in a basement?
1: Uh, so there was two... There was two locations. And okay. And the basement one was in Cambridge.
0: I think I went to the one mm-hmm. in Cambridge. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: So that was further up Mass Ave. Um, but yeah. And then, and then the one in Back Bay was, like, next to a drum shop and, like, a pizza place. So I could just cruise for hours on that block doing mm-hmm. whatever I wanted to. Um... But yeah, so so my love of soul music really grew from there. And then to tie that in with you know, with at the time also being really involved in hardcore bands and the hardcore scene, looking back on it, it's like it's all groove related music, right? Where like of course, you know, soul music's got the pocket and the hip hop and whatever, but then you know, you listen to hardcore music and... It's driving. Yeah, it's driving, but there's but there's always a strong rhythm to it. And, you know, and e- and even though it sometimes can be really spastic and, like, out of control, there's still an underlying groove. And that's what I figured out that I really like about all of music. Like, there's a lot of music that I don't gravitate towards because it doesn't really have that strong groove. It doesn't mean that it's not good. It's just that it's not... For me, you know. Sure. And like an acoustic guitar, I'm like, you know, y'all could be great at that. I I love I love that you love that, but for me, I'd rather be listening to those other three genres of music. You know, I've been really into jazz lately. Like I was Hell just yeah. listening to listening down to uh, an old Grant Green record before I came here. Like all of that stuff is amazing to me. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and groove music is what really moves me and ultimately made me want to pursue not only the Alana Royale project, but Mount Worcester as well.
0: How did Alana Royale first start? When did you get involved with Um, doing that?
1: So Alana and I moved to town together from Boston in 2012. And we, you know, we had been writing together a little bit before we came down here. And so two... Two Alana Royale songs had actually already been written, in like two thousand eleven. Mm-hmm. Um, she had done it for like a school project or something, and and we initially were gonna try and start like a like a grunge band because we we've always been really into like Stone Temple Pilots and Alice in Chains and and Soundgarden. You know that we we definitely really bonded over like those three bands. Um, And for a lot of the same reason, you know, like, Alice in Chains always played in odd meters and, like, Soundgarden, like, Chris Cornell was, like, out of control with the vocals. Oh, dude, hell yeah, for sure. Always, like, he was always on point.
0: Second coming of Robert Plant.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly right. Um, And so, you know, so we were looking around for musicians to, like, you know, kind of jam with, vibe with, and whatever, and we met our drummer... Uh, he's been, he's been playing drums for us for the last, God, almost seven years. Um, he was working at Mitchell's Deli at the time and we walked in, it was like the first week that we lived here and he recognized Alana from Boston cause he is also from there and you know, his band and Alana's band had like, you know, played on some same shows together or whatever. And so it was more of that, more of that thing I was talking about earlier about everyone being on the scene. And it was still that connection. It was still mm-hmm. that cool, like Boston scene connection where we walked into Mitchell's. He was like scooping eggs or something. And we were like, and he was like, hey, aren't you Alana? And, you know, we told him we were new in town and come through and listen to the, some of these songs we got and whatever. And we played him some of the grunge stuff. And he was like, that's fine, but I've been in a lot of rock bands before. And then we're like, well, we got these other two songs. Let's play through those and see if you dig it. And he was like, yo, this is. This is cool. I, I like this. If you get, like, a horn section and keys and whatever, like, I'd be way into doing this. So that was, like, <clears throat> the first time we really thought, like, oh, maybe we can really do, like, maybe we can really do soul music full-time instead, you know? And that and that was also around the time when, like, you know, Back to Black from, you know, from Amy Winehouse had just come out a Great couple record. years prior. And, like, you know, Sharon Jones was putting out record after record of, like, Really good material. Um, the first Charles Bradley record had just come Dude. out at that time. Um, and then you also had, like, you know, CeeLo Green doing, like, Lady Killer before he, like, lost his mind and said things like, date rape is okay and, and you know, and whatever. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But, like, at the time, it's like that song, Fuck You, was, like, huge. He was huge. Like,
0: written by Bruno
1: Mars. Exactly, right. And so so it's like you had this co- this cool, like, resurgence of it. So we were really inspired by all of that. Um, and, and, you know, the three of us really bonded over American soul music, like Motown and Stacks and whatever. Um, and then probably about a month later, we met our bass player, Gabriel, who has been actually in the, in the band for He's
0: fucking good, well. dude. He is,
1: he is so, he's so good. Like, I got, I got nothing but love from my man Gabriel. Like, he is, he is a killing bass player. Um, but he and Alana met... <clears throat> Alana started working at the pharmacy Right when it first opened Um And Gabriel was working there at the same time And They started talking about like 70's MCI consoles And you know Started talking about You know Just started talking about like Memphis stuff And whatever And you know Gabriel grew up in Jackson, Mississippi So you know Very different Sort of thing But Gabriel grew up Um You know His dad Was The type of dude who he's lived in Jackson for forever too, and Gabriel's dad was a guitar player, and he grew up playing with all the black musicians, and and the white musicians being like, man, why are you, why, like why are you playing yeah. with those guys? And it was like still that that era of of like, we're keeping everything Segrega- separate yeah, and, segregation. and segregation, whatever. And so Gabriel was kind of like always schooled by his dad, like, you fucking hate Elvis and you love BB King you know so that so that was kind of the thing um and so uh so yeah immediately we just like bonded with gabriel and from and so just from there we really just kind of grew and just kept writing songs and you know eventually thousand horn players and some other people that wanted to come in on a project that was like you know just on its just on its baby legs you know and we were like you know we don't really have a lot of money to go around because we want a big band but if y'all want to be a part of something, then, you know, like, hang on. And once, you know, once there's a little something to go around, we all get a little something. And in the meantime, we'll just have a lot of fun.
0: That's what I noticed whenever I've seen you guys. So I've seen you a couple times. The first Mm -hmm. time I saw you was opening for Lee Fields when he played at Mercy Lounge. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was immediately into it just because – Alana started talking about Boston. She was like very fuck it, mm. fuck it, It reminded me all of my friends back home. Yeah, right, of course. So it felt it reminded me of something of home, of like that New England, just like that that grit that uh, I don't know how to describe it. There's just that friction there in yeah, the right, northeast. Right. And it was something that I immediately connected with. And the other thing that I noticed about you guys was live you have amazing chemistry on stage. Thank you. Like great mm. intuition. And your sound is uh, like I would definitely say it's like soul music, but through kids that grew up listening to hip hop, because mm-hmm. you can you can hear that that kind of thing that like bands like El uh, Michaels affair. Do you listen yeah, to them course. at all? Oh, Dude, I fucking love El <clears throat> Michaels, yeah. Menahan Street Band, all mm-hmm. that shit mm-hmm. is my favorite shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's definitely that vibe in all of your music.
1: Yeah, good. Well, I'm I'm glad I'm glad that you uh, I'm glad that you can take that out of that because all of those bands have been a huge inspiration for us and kinda given us a little bit of like a roadmap, you know, and like how do you how do you take an old sound from the sixties and seventies and make it new and modern and make it inventive and original and you know, they really paved the way for like thinking about thinking about modern soul music. Soul and,
0: resurgence.
1: Exactly. And then also you know, bands from the Bay Area, like Monophonics and, and Kelly Finnegan, who we've come, he, he's actually producing, uh, he, he produced the last Delano Royale record, he's producing the new one as well. Um, you know, like for, like for me, for my money, Monophonics, and, and what Kelly does with his solo stuff, that's like, that's the best it gets, really. And also, like, also Lee Fields, we've toured with him like three times now and mm-hmm. he's a legend. I mean, he's yeah. been doing it since nineteen sixty eight and He's I'm, got a new album coming out. I know. I'm so pumped. Yeah. I, I love everything he's ever done. You know, he's been doing it since sixty eight. Not a lot of people know that. A lot of people think that he's just like a you know, like an older guy that finally got a chance, like yeah. Charles Bradley or or like or even in the case of Sharon Jones, like, you know, she's been working with Daptone since like the late nineties until she passed, but you know, she, she, but she didn't hit until her late 40s or something like that mm-hmm. and through no fault of her own because everybody told her no her entire life. But Lee Fields has been trucking along yeah, this whole time, just flying just under the radar. And, um, but now he's with L. Michaels, and, you know, he, for a long time, was backed by the Manhattan Street Band, and, you know, him and Charles Bradley's band, you know, always traded out and whatever. Yep. Um, so he's been he's also been a huge inspiration for us, you know. Just in in performance, you know. Whenever we play with him, we're just like, oh, that's how you do this. Yeah, you know, it's it's really cool, you know. And also, he's just like a gracious dude to open for. Like, you know, he hands out life lessons in the green room like all day. It's, really, it's very cool. Yeah, there there was one time we were playing in Macon, Georgia, which you know, is the home of Otis Redding, the home of Percy Sledge, like the Almond Brothers. Like there there's a lot of musical history in Macon, Georgia. Um and it's tough when you go there now because, you know, a lot of everything's like boarded up and it's it's not run down what it used to be. But I still love going there because I love the history and the people that live there still really, really, really give a fuck about music. And they care that you stopped at their town instead of just going to Atlanta and then going on to Birmingham you know it's like you took the took the extra hour to go a little bit south and like do it bring some bring some more music and they give it back you know like ain't nobody on their phone in the crowd and make it everybody's dancing everybody's having a good time it's it's pretty awesome we're actually going there in like two weeks and I'm pretty psyched about it nice but the one time we played there with Lee Fields we had a really short drive the day before we were just coming from Athens, Georgia so it was like a two hour drive and we got there just chilled and he schooled us for like three hours in the green room about like what it is to sing a song you know he asked Alana like right in her face like why do you sing songs and she was just like because I got something to say and he was like right so you think about the thing that you wanted to say when you wrote it every time you sing it act it out yeah, and and there was just something about like that moment and all of the things that he was telling us, and us being in the birthplace of Otis Redding and Percy Sledge and whatever, and then we just went out and it was it was definitely like one of the top three most memorable sets that we ever played for Were sure. Were you hot
0: that night, just coming
1: out like yeah, on fire? Yeah, it was just like he just doled out the inspiration, and yeah. it was like. The band was just killing that night, and it was like really, and Alana was just on fire that night. And it was really, I think, attributed to Lee's spirit and his love for doing what he does you know, mo- moving into his 70s and still just being as fire as he Bring was it. in 1968. It's fucking cool. Yeah.
0: Growing up in Massachusetts, uh, playing music, when did you first start? Was there something that kind of triggered your start as a musician? Was it the whole grunge thing, or what was it exactly?
1: Um, so I started playing music when I was 12. Um, I started just being in, in bands, you know, from, with, like, neighborhood kids. And, you know, that it definitely started with the grunge thing, for sure um you know i remember like i said just watching mtv and seeing seeing all the grunge bands and seeing nirvana and and seeing green day and things like that and just having these really cool music videos and watching you know watching woodstock 94 like live on tv mm-hmm. i was like, what is this what am i watching um you know and and moving moving into you know learning Learning some of those songs on bass because I, I originally started out as a bass player, really, not a guitar player. That's yes. that's
0: yeah. the reverse of what happens to everybody. I know, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, um, so so yeah, just like everybody, just learned Smells Like Teen Spirit, just played it over and over again uh-huh. until I could play it, um, you know, and then learned the entire Nevermind album, and you know, and then it kind of just like grew from there. Um, but yeah, so started started out just playing grunge music when I was 12, moving into like you know, doing more like Deftonesy sort of stuff when I was like fourteen and then that grew into like you know when I was fourteen that was about about the time that I heard, you know, Bane and the Whole Conspiracy and American Nightmare converge you started for the first getting time. Into all the and I started getting into all the hardcore stuff. stuff, um, you know, and and meeting people that were a lot older than me that were already in hardcore bands. And just trying to hang with that as much as I could, because I was just really drawn to the community, Um, liked it so much better than, like, everybody that was in high school. So it was just like, I just held on to that as hard as I could. You found your fame. Yeah, exactly. It was just like, I I know that the high school cliques and stuff isn't for me, but, like, you know, and it's very stereotypical, like, hardcore kid, like, oh, I don't fit in over here, but... When I go to a hardcore show, I know exactly who I am, and all these other people in here feel the exact same way. Mm-hmm. So, it's oh, all yeah. the misfits
0: and the rejects. Yeah,
1: exactly. Right, yeah. Right, yeah.
0: That was the scene that I kind of came up in a little bit too. So I started playing when I was like 13 or so, mm-hmm. and it was right around the time that like punk music and everything like that was just really having its resurgence. Mm-hmm. So it was around the time where like Green Day was big, and there was a lot of... Uh, there was like 10,000 hardcore bands at this point. Mm-hmm. So this was like right in the Hot Topic era mm-hmm. where a Hot Topic was huge. It was in every single mall. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, I grew up playing in Maine at a lot of those like VFW shows mm-hmm. where it was a whole a whole bunch of other kids and then maybe like a few parents. Yeah, right. There right. to chaperone. <laughs> yeah. But it was just so fucking fun, man. It you, yeah, was. Just, it's just like pure energy mm-hmm. when you're 14 playing and right. you don't know anything about anything except that you like playing music.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So that that was kind of how things started off for me. Uh, but yeah. So you you were growing up in uh, in Massachusetts. You were in the scene with all these other kids. You said there was some older people that you had become friends with. Were mm-hmm. they kind of like your mentors? Was there anyone in particular that sticks out to you?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, uh, you know, def- definitely, definitely, some people from uh, from like the Worcester scene in particular. Um, you know, Bane was a huge one for me that, you know, they, they all grew up like right down the street from me and they all still live there. Um, and they were a band that was like touring the world, just doing these like simple, like just heartfelt songs. And, you know, Aaron Bedard just like saying whatever he wanted to on a mic, but always trying to spread the positivity, and it, and it was like a, it, it definitely was like a storytelling type of hardcore band, you know? And I think that's what elevated them and what made them so successful. And they, I mean, they were able to tour, you know, they were able to do their thing as a hardcore band for 20 years. That's crazy. Yeah. With like, no major label funding, like nothing. For any band to be able to do right. that is something special. And they toured almost every continent, you know? And, So they were always a huge inspiration for me, Um, personally. Like, I've I've seen that band over 50 times, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Palladium in Worcester, but like...
0: Is is that like a club, or...? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And so, that was the spot that I went to all the time. I I eventually, you know, made friends with everybody that worked there, and... uh, you know, the singer of the band I was in, you know, he ended up working there. And, um, so I, I made friends with, you know, with all, all the people there and I was able to go there pretty much for free whenever I wanted eventually. And so I was there like four or five nights a week, just like seeing all the bands at the time. Um, and it really, you know, it really shaped who I was, I guess, you know, cause I, I could, I could just walk in every night of the week and just, you know, and, and, it, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of like diversity in bands. Like it, it was still all hardcore metal bands or like emo bands played there, but, sure. but you weren't seeing other types of music yeah. at, the, at that club. Like you just, they just wouldn't book it. You yeah. Know? Um, but it was a cool way to, to learn how to, you know, how to navigate music. And, you know, I learned a lot about like stage presence at that time. And I learned a lot about you know just what it is to be in a touring band I guess you know
0: what was Worcester like growing up there um in the area that you grew up
1: you know so so I I grew up in like a pretty like rural part you know um like around like around the outside um but like I said I spent so much time in the city that it was like you know Worcester is a very very diverse place there's all different kinds of people very working class of course very working class there's all like a very large latin community very large asian community italian like everybody so you can go to all different parts of the city and just like get all different kinds of food see all different kinds of people um and you know that was really inspiring too you know to just look around and see the diversity and kind of embrace it rather rather than like you know, some people push back from it and sure. like, no, I want to stay in like my small community and, and whatever. But I was immediately just like overcome with like, like I, like I need all of this, you know, like I, I need all these different perspectives and I, and I want to be around all these different kinds of people. And, you know, definitely when I, when I was growing up, you know, Worcester was definitely like a little bit like grittier of a place then it is now I guess
0: it's kind of gentrified a little bit now right? a, li-
1: a little bit yeah. yeah you know and just like any city there's you know there's growing pains and there's still rough patches and, sure. you know this and that but I always saw it as like this like gritty place but that had so much like so much like monumental like hope and there was still like so much industry there and you know what there- was the
0: main industry there
1: well, you know, you know
0: The be- mills, right? Yeah,
1: before my time it was definitely very much a mill town and that's why it's covered in, in three decker apartment buildings is because all of those all of those buildings were built by those manufacturers to house to house hau- twenty families exactly. on one floor. Yeah, exactly that. Um and it was a big immigrant town in that in that way where people that were coming to America were like oh, we can go to Worcester and we can get jobs and we can get housing. Okay. And that's also why it became so diverse.
0: Yeah, that's, that's kind of interesting because the rest of New England is not really, I wouldn't really say it's diverse. Agreed. You yeah. know, like it's super white and I think it,
2: mm-hmm.
0: part of the reason I originally got into like soul music and playing that music was because it was so foreign and it felt so far away. Right, yeah, yeah. But that's kind of interesting that you describe it as that. You know, I've been there and I've driven through there. I've been to, I think there's a Cracker Barrel right off one of the exits that oh, I've yeah, been to and, like 9,000 times. In Sturbridge, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Not far <laughs> from there, but that's, yeah.
1: That's white hell. Yeah. It's very white. Yeah.
0: But um, yeah, it's, it's just kind of interesting to uh, to think about how things are growing and changing in our country right now and the way that they're kind of shifting because it's like everything is all the time. Mm-hmm. Everything is happening all the time, right? And right. there's a lot of bad shit happening for sure. But I want to believe that at the end of the day, the average human, like everybody, just loves everybody.
1: Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's that's what you want to that's what you want to hope for, right? Yeah, you for know? sure. Um, you know, th- things like uh, you know th- things in Worcester that happened, like 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 the Latin American parade. Yeah, like. The whole city shuts down. There's so many Latin people there, and it's fucking awesome. Dancing
0: and, and playing music. Yeah, yeah.
1: Like you go there and you hear cumbia and you hear like all different kinds of music from all different places. You know, Cuba. You know, um, Peru, Venezuela, like Mexico, whatever. And but it's also not not even just for them. Like if you go there as a white person or as a black person or whoever, I don't care. You go there and everybody's like, "Yeah, you're coming in, and like, you're coming here to celebrate with us, so we're like celebrating you as well." Like, I went to the Latin American parade so many times because I was just like, I just like, I feel welcomed here, Mm -hmm. you know, and I want the rest of that to spread to everywhere else, and I guess that's why I've always like had such high, high hopes and high standards for the city of Worcester and why I look back on it with this, like with this real fondness, you know, mm-hmm. like everybody, you know, everybody I know loves to like get down on that city and just like, Oh, well it kind of sucks and this and that. And it's like, no, oh, it doesn't.
0: The, I, th- I feel like the, the gritty or the ugliness or whatever is, is part of what makes a place really special. Yeah. Like one thing that I, I've been obsessed with for sure is just like people's hometowns. Mm hmm. Because you can tell so much about a person from when they talk about their hometown.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: And I can definitely hear how this uh, in also influenced Mount Mount Worcester, too. Right. Of which course. is where you got the, the name from, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So was there a, a conscious effort when you were starting to, to do all the music for it where you're like, this is going to be something that I want to represent my home or represent where I am now? Or what was kind of the, the influence behind the, the musical aspect of it?
1: Um, Kind of both of those things, um, you know, I definitely wanted, you know, when when I was, when I was writing for it, you know, I definitely, song to song, picked some of my favorite, <clears throat> or I guess, maybe not some of my favorite, but just, like, the most vivid memories of living there, and just trying to tell a story without words, um about those memories, you know, so I, you know, we've got a song that's, you know, that's got, like, a more Latin feel than, you know, like, we've got another song called Main South, and that, that was, at the time, a particularly, like, rough part of town that you didn't really want to be in, um, you know, but a lot of, but a lot of my friends in the Slums of Worcester crew had, like, had a house there, so it was, like, where we would all go and, like, you know, and, like, party and hang after shows and whatever, and, Um, you know, so that's, like, a really down-tempo, like, minor song. You know, like, things like that. Um, yeah, it was just all about, uh, all about, like, vivid memories, I guess, that I wanted to capture in music. But with my influences of today with, you know, with bands that I'm finding out about now, um, whether it be modern bands like... A Kebé Shakedown from New York, or Budo's band,
0: or Budo's band is
1: awesome. Yeah, they're amazing. Or uh, you know, some of the some of the more like like African seventies Afrobeat stuff, like Hugh Masakela and, and Phil Kuti and stuff like that. Um, you know, and influences even range to like bands like Portishead, where they don't have anything to do with soul music or Afrobeat, but they just have a vibe, and that's really ultimately what I was trying to express with this music you know I wasn't just trying to limit it to just soul music or just afrobeat or whatever
0: so it's kind of an all-encompassing
1: kind of yeah project yeah I mean it's always still gonna have you know horns keys flute bass guitar like that kind of thing um but it you know but it's you know it's definitely not going to incorporate like you know Hardcore music or things like sure, that. It's sure. it's just much more driven by you know, by those kind of artists and mostly um there's this one producer out of LA named Adrian Young. Um, that sounds
0: really familiar.
1: So he did the he did the score for both seasons of Luke Cage. He did um he did the score for the movie Black Dynamite. He's done a couple of records with Ghostface Killer. and just recently he put out a record called The Midnight Hour mm-hmm. with Ali Shaheed Muhammad from Trap Called Quest, and it's a jazz record, and it features a bunch of different bunch of different singers and whatever. Um, and that shit was actually sampled by Kendrick Lamar. Um, so, so he's been also a huge inspiration, um, and not, not only in songwriting and sounds and whatever, but he gave an interview about about working with what you have, and he said when he um when he got hired on to do the Black Dynamite score, he was like, "I don't have a studio working, and I don't have enough money to pay someone in a studio to do this. How am i going make this how am I going to make this score for this film, but I have to do it so he just built a tiny little studio in his garage. he just picked up whatever he could, like it wasn't like the nicest gear possible, but it didn't matter because it, the music in his head was, was what was important, and he was able to express that even on like, you know, he had like some like Tascam Porta Studios and you know like stuff like that, like SM fifty sevens, and it's not working
0: with what you got. Yeah, exactly. Limitations it, are good.
1: It is good, yeah, for sure. And so, uh, you know, so initially when I when I was doing this Mount Worcester record, I also wanted to you know, go into a studio and I wanted to attract to this kind of tape and like do this and that. But, you know, I don't have the kind of money it takes to do that with just two people being being writers in the band, you know, live, we're an eight piece band, but, you know, in the studio, we're two guys. So it's like, I can't have all these people paying for it. I need to pay them. Yeah. You know, so instead I was like, you know what? We're going to cut the drums in the drummer's living room, and then the rest of it we're going to do in in my spare bedroom, and that's going to be how it is, and I'm going to toss the players what I can, you know, I'm going to save the money to pay my players what they're worth, and in in the meantime, just do the best I can with what I got, you know?
0: One thing that I've noticed, especially living in Nashville, is like, just having to use whatever you have because you might be wanting to work with a drummer who's going to be out on the road you might want to be doing this you might want to be doing that but I really do think that one thing that has helped me is just like sitting there in the moment being like okay this is what I actually have right now and this is what I can use to get this done yeah because it's so freaking easy to get caught up in well I want this and I need this and I need that and I want this and it's Mm -hmm. like all these different things that would be great to have but at the end of the day, a kitchen sink is not always what you need, like a kitchen sink album where you're just able to throw everything that you have into right, it. Right, right, right. That's like a very particular point in time. It's. I feel like any time a band does that, like Queen, for instance. Mm-hmm. So Queen, A Night at the Opera was not their first record. Right. So, yeah, I just, I think using the resources that you have are just, can really be what sets the tone for something.
1: Right. Yeah, and if you, spend all your time saying, I want, I need, I want, I need, guess what? You're always going to want something and you're always going to need something. And in the meantime, you're never going to get anything done. Yeah. You know? And I treat, I treat recordings and releases as very much a stamp in time and a memory, you know? And it's like, this is the ability I had at the time. These are the sounds that I could create at the time. And this is the budget I had at the time and I made it work. And you just put it out and you move on, you know, and the next one, hopefully, you know, you get better and better and those, yeah. and those goals and those ideas grow. But in the meantime, you can't sit around in your hands being like, I want, I need, because it just doesn't get you anywhere.
0: I think that's the perfect spot to end it. Any final thoughts? Um, anywhere people can find you, check you out, any shows coming up, anything like that?
1: Uh, so no Mount Worcester shows on the books for right now. Uh, cause the drummer moved away as soon as we put out music. Um, but I'm fi- finishing up that record pretty soon, so uh, you know, keep a look out on on that. I'll on, share it whenever on, you yeah can. on on socials. Yeah. You know, Facebook, Instagram, all that, all that garbage. Um. Alana Royale is gonna be gonna be touring around. Uh, I guess touring around most of the entire country for the rest of the year, um, like we always do. We're playing a show on what Friday? What is that? Oh, that's tomorrow. Tomorrow. Um, uh we're playing a show at the Basement East tomorrow with Sarah Shook and the Disarmers, and then we're playing in Atlanta the next day. Um, also with them. Uh that the new Orlando Royale record is on its way pretty soon. It's, Exciting. It's getting it's getting recorded right now. Um can't so, wait. Yeah, so we'll be back and forth to Oakland, California working with Kelly Finnegan uh for the rest of the year, working uh working on that. Um also again shout out to kelly um listen to his to his music if you haven't yet um just he's the fucking best um and then the new bloodsport album also on its way i'm mixing that right now so so ho- so hopefully i can put out three records this year awesome dude thank yeah. you so much for coming on yeah thanks for having me